0: Hello and welcome to The Lancet podcast. I'm Richard Lane on Friday, August the 7th. This week, the difficult topic of autopsy after fetal loss. But just before that, some other content highlights from this week's issue of The Lancet, which is dated August the 8th to the 14th. We run editorials about cardiac surgery performance in the United Kingdom, also about a community approach to tackling the obesity epidemic, And we comment on a recent report by the British Food and Standards Agency concerning organic food. In research, we publish in print a study that went online last week. This concerns H1N1 influenza and pregnancy. We also publish research and a link comment about a treatment strategy for rheumatoid arthritis. And look out for seminars, plural. There are two this week, one on gastric cancer and another on obsessive compulsive disorder. But back to our main feature this week, which is pegged around a research article looking at fetal autopsy. Earlier, I spoke to one of the authors of the study, Dr. Andrew Taylor, from University College London's Institute of Child Health in the United Kingdom. Dr. Taylor, you're one of the authors of a research article in this week's issue of The Lancet, and this is looking at the topic of fetal autopsy. Immediately, one thinks this is a difficult and controversial area of inquiry. How difficult and controversial is it?
1: I think over really the last five to ten years or so this has been made a relatively controversial area partly because of issues related to older hay and uh, autopsies that were carried out five to ten years ago and storing of organs. But what's interesting is I think parents that have a fetus die actually very keen to understand exactly what the cause of that death was. Interestingly they will go to any sort of means really to find out what those causes of death are. Now currently the only way to do that is really to cut open uh, the fetus. What we've been trying to do is really to see if we can find less invasive ways of doing autopsy by using imaging and what's really amazed me about uh, the whole process of the, certainly of the paper that we've we've gone through is how keen and how helpful parents are even though it may not be of direct benefit to them and their fetus, of engaging in research so that we can look at ways in which we can try and uh, address these issues. I think the other issue is that um, it's very difficult nowadays to keep, if, for example, we want to look at the brain, it's very difficult to keep the brain for a long period of time because, rightly so, parents want to have uh, all the uh, organs back for a proper burial after, after there's been an autopsy. So I think if we can provide methods where we can look at things less invasively and very quickly, then it suddenly becomes a, a much easier uh, option for parents to, to consider so that they can get the right information about where, why their fetus died. And it may help them to, well it may help them come to terms with it, because I think it's very important from that point of view, but also it will help them plan for future pregnancies.
0: Just before we... Going on describing uh, the current study, can you just briefly mention the importance of animal research in this area of high-grade uh, imaging?
1: What we've conventionally done when we've used MR imaging to look at autopsy cases, we've done this at relatively low field strength, so that's 1.5 T mostly. In animal research, though, over, again, over the last five to ten years, really, there's been a, a development in using higher field strengths, and the reason for this is they're looking at very small structures in mice or rats in particular. And in order to get the picture quality and to see these very fine structures, they've used high field magnets. And they've really sort of shown that you can begin to get almost like looking down the microscope images now without actually having to dissect organs or cut organs open. And we've seen from these pictures that you can then not only have you not cut things open, but you've got a three-dimensional record um, of many of the structures in these animals. And that's really led us to say, well, actually, if you can do that in uh, animals, then how about we can do that in some of the smaller uh, fetuses that we're going to deal with which in some ways are similar sizes so very tiny fetuses where we just can't get the sorts of pictures and the resolution and the detail that we would like to get uh, with what we would use as a conventional clinical scanner at the moment.
0: Do go on and tell us about the uh, design of the current study.
1: So what we did was we compared in uh, 18 cases we compared whether we could use the conventional techniques so that's 1.5 T scanners that's the normal scanner we would use in day-to-day clinical practice at the moment. We also scanned the uh, foetuses in a high-field scanner, so a 9.4 T-scanner, to get microscopic or images that would be of microscopic quality. And in all the cases, they had a conventional post-mortem, so a conventional autopsy. We didn't know what the results in any of these were. Somebody reported each one of these independently. And then we we decided that the autopsy was what you'd call your gold standard. So that's uh, what we compared everything to. And we looked at our images from the low field and the high field. If we looked just in a relatively small study still, but if we looked at the high field, the first thing is we've got exquisite quality. So if you think there are probably six layers of the brain that begin to move out in the early fetal life, and we could actually identify those six layers that you could see on microscopy. So we could clearly get beautiful, beautiful pictures of these tiny, tiny fetuses. But what we clearly showed was that actually if we just looked at the high field pictures, we got enough information to make the diagnosis compared to the normal conventional autopsy. So if I phrase it the other way around, the conventional autopsy provided no additional information over the 9.40 or the high-field MR images. Whilst if we just looked at the conventional low-field images, only in two of our cases were we able to actually make a diagnosis. So a significant difference in the accuracy, our ability to uh, make a diagnosis and inform um, on what was going on in, in each of these
0: foetuses. A very clear result there but we should stress of course this is a relatively small study isn't it and obviously a very difficult area in which to research. 1818 cases in this case. What happens next both in terms of research and also at the stage at which implementation of different clinical practice might happen in a health system like the health service because they're bound to be cost and logistical issues aren't there? So really over the last five to ten years, people have been looking
1: at the using MRI or, in fact, uh, CT imaging to try and uh, carry out less invasive autopsy. And a lot of these studies have been in relatively small numbers of cases. But the Department of Health have commissioned really two very large studies, one in fetuses, neonates, so that's newborns and children, and a separate study in adults, whereby uh, two groups are looking at probably about 600 cases in each group, comparing these less invasive techniques with a proper conventional uh, autopsy to try and find out really where this sort of technique fits for clinical practice. Our study that we've done is a part of that because what we found out very early on, as as the study shows, is that the the conventional scanning field strengths, uh, we couldn't really make the diagnosis in these very small fetuses. Once these studies report, and it should be at the end of this year or the beginning of next year, that both will be uh, reporting, is we'll be able to see if this truly is a technique we can uh, take forward and use, and also in which cases it may be beneficial. And that may have some implications for how clinical practice goes forward in autopsies. It may be, for example, that if you have a child that has suddenly found dead, then the first line might be to have an MRI or a CT scan. And if that can reveal exactly what's going on, then there may not need to be anything else and instead of having a conventional autopsy, that will be predominantly done by an imaging department, so there may be, need to be some resources changed about between the two, or it may be that actually pathology departments might have their own imaging scanners, might be one way to deal with it. I think with relationship to our study, this is very specialized There They're probably, in the major universities, the sorts of scanners that we've been using do exist, and I think because this is such specialist work, then most of these uh, cases would come in, feed into these central uh, or to these um, university locations at the moment, so that this very high field scanning could be carried out. But to a degree, how this all fits together and how these resources are uh, worked out for, for in the future, um, such that we can offer these services to uh, parents,
0: really is something for to a degree time future. Dr. Andrew Taylor, many thanks indeed for talking to the Lancet. No problem. Many thanks. And some of the issues that Dr. Andrew Taylor mentioned there at the end of that interview are covered in a linked comment alongside this article, which I urge you to read. The author of the comment is Elspeth Whitley from the Unit of Academic Radiology at the University of Sheffield Royal Hallamshire Hospital in Sheffield, United Kingdom. Well, that's all for now. Many thanks for listening. See you next week.